we are back. We are back. Welcome to Match Point Number Nine, a tennis bets podcast. Uh, I am your host, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter. And if you're listening to us for the first time, chances are that's how you found us. Welcome. Hello. And if you're a returning listener, thank you for returning. Uh, have a great, great show lined up for you today. With me, as always, of course, is uh, Derek. Derek, you seem to really buck against my number one tennis talking bro a moniker that I established with, <laughs> or, you know, very early on. We can move on from that. In uh, addition, I liked last time out, you were very upset about the, the coaching rule. So no, number one coaching rule hater, Derek. Derek, hello. <laughs> that, that's a very good descriptor for me. Um, I don't even know. I'm probably still the number one tennis talking bro you got. I'd be pretty upset if I got overthrown on that. But um, yeah, I like the new name. It's more suiting. It's been a minute since we've been on the mics, but we, this is a podcast that continues. We are marching forth. We have returned once again, and once again, we have a, a great guest here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Jonathan Reed. You know him at JR Tweets Tennis. You know him from Tidbits Tennis, got rights for the Action Network, at Betting Expert as well. He, you know, if you're betting on tennis, you know who this guy is. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's nice to uh, to collaborate kind of deal with uh, with another tennis betting podcast like to see us climbing up the ranks i watch chartable and i see like four or five of them in there now and i know it drives the the mainstream tennis people who hate betting and the what the fixing does to the sport i just love to know that it's driving some purists crazy out there to have betting becoming such a big part of uh the tennis world well they need to wake up and embrace us i mean this is what's bringing people to the sport let's be real and uh yeah no i'm excited to have you on this was you know when we started this uh, a little over a year ago you know this was a a dream to have experiences like this to network and and grow the community talking about tennis so uh, awesome to have you here today and um and since you are here john and you have a, a great tennis betting podcast with your uh, Tidbits Tennis brand as well at Tidbits Tennis. I thought we would take a minute to get to know you a little bit. Get to know this guy is one of the best tennis betters out there, right? Right, writing about tennis. Uh, so let's let's peel back the layers. Uh, how did you uh, come into writing about tennis from a betting perspective, John? And and, and you're from Canada, correct? Did, did that yeah. play? Did that was tennis a more part of your life? Well, I grew up playing tennis uh, my entire life, summer camps, you know, when I was a kid and then on the high school tennis team, kind of disappeared from my life when I was at university for four years, um, you know, a lot more socializing and studying more social socializing, but uh, for me for four years. And then I ended up going to a place called the College of Sports Media in downtown Toronto back home and got into sports media that way, ended up interning at the biggest uh, sports radio station in the country. And while I'm editing at night, the guy who is doing the sports updates, Ben Lewis, he actually runs the Matchpoint Canada podcast, the official Tennis Canada podcast. I found out he was a tennis coach and he knew some of the like lower ranked Canadian pros. And so I just got back into talking tennis all the time and then found out I could bet on it. And I was like, oh man, like this is awesome. <laughs> so ended up working there for I think three years and, uh, and just got back into tennis slowly, but surely from about 2015 onwards and been betting it from since 2016. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And you have a lot of uh, transparency uh, on your uh, account. You have uh, three years of results, uh, I believe 2019 through 2022. So uh, I think people love and appreciate that uh, when it comes to the the experts and, uh, and the pick makers. Um, so that's really great. And uh, you know, when you are making your picks, when you open up the slate for a brand new day of tennis, a whole new slate of matches, John, is there something that you're looking for, you know, Right away, like this is my go-to when I when I open up the slate when you're looking to make some picks. Is it like just a, a classic mismatch, or what does your eye gravitate toward? Uh, I mean, anyone who follows the page knows I'm a big underdog better. Um, I love my underdog money lines. I love looking for guys that I know are like in the top 50, taking on a competent young player that I've seen at the Challenger Tour, and just waiting for like. I guess I'll go American odds here um, on an American podcast, but like a plus 200 uh, kind of underdog where I know they should only be like a plus 125, plus 130. That's always the first thing that stands out. And I mean, tomorrow it's, it's funny that we're doing this today because tomorrow, like I love so many underdogs and I'm just, I'm just waiting for a chalky day to just, you know, completely wipe me out. But um I do like a lot of underdogs uh, for Thursday. And that's generally the first thing I'll look for. And then I'll go into like this favorite minus games is probably 
uh, worth a shot, et cetera. We love when the dogs are barking. Uh, Derek, you unmuted. So it looks like you got something you want to say here. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about for you fishing for underdogs. Um, do you typically look for them to win on the money line or do you kind of look for more of the spreads or maybe possibly overs? That's a that's a fun question because it used to be money line. And then last year, it's like the number of blown leads absolutely crippled me. I had a terrible year last year. There's no hiding it. This year hasn't been fun either, but it, it's, you know, I'm not losing right now at least. And so this year I've decided, you know, when there's value on the over, I'll split my risk, right? I'll diversify uh-huh. the risk. And then if, you know, my player, my underdog wins the first set, if they win the second, I profit on the match. If they blow the lead, I haven't lost anything because the over is almost guaranteed in three sets. So yeah, that's generally what I'm looking to do now, but it used to be just money line. Uh, now, if the over showing some value, I'll split it up, diversify that risk and attack it from two fronts. Cool, cool. So if you are in on the money line and say they were up a set, like the first set, do you typically try to cash out or do you just try to ride the train? I, I'm not a cash out guy. I, I generally would rather tilt over a blown lead and say, <laughs> all right, it was a solid bet. It was a set and break up than just like automatically cash out. Because the thing is, the lines, the books I use, there's the pre-match hold at like Pinnacle, for instance. It's the pinnacle of betting, really. Uh-huh. Um, that holds are so low, but all my live books... Like the holes are just too high. I can't just, I don't want to be paying that Vegas second time. It's it's like an OCD thing. I just cannot yeah, yeah. do it. Even you though you can pride. see it on the court. Yeah, you are yeah you can see it on the court. You're like, this isn't going well. Like this yeah, yeah. down. And I should, but no, I, if, if the number's too, if the number's not there, I just, I won't bet it even though I know like in my head, the predicting the outcome, I know it's probably going to blow it. But value-wise, I just, I, I can't. And it's screwed me a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Got to stick to your guns. I'm more and more pro-hedging, I have to say. Uh, I I understand why you wouldn't, and it's perfectly reasonable why you would not. But, I mean, such a dicey sport. You go belly up so fast after you're looking so good. And uh, just locking in some profit, especially, you know, if you're betting routinely i mean walking away with with some cash i think is uh makes sense to me at times um but this is a great conversation uh, let's keep it going a lot of people are, are new to betting in general new to tennis betting so i think this is this is pretty good now do you have a favorite surface you like to bet are you a grass guy a clay guy hardcore returns to canada uh very soon is there something you prefer yeah. uh either i mean <laughs> this is these are all actually really good questions because for the 2019, 2020, I would have said clay hands down. I mean, the clay season was, I mean, in terms of if we're talking units, everyone has a different unit size, obviously. Uh, They were, I think, both near triple digit just for the clay season in profit. Um, It was ridiculous, or at least 2019 was. Uh, 2020, we didn't have much of a season, obviously, over COVID. But uh, now it's grass, because if you can spot the proper first set overs to bet, like they'll juice John Isner and Riley Apelka first set overs to high heavens. But there are so many guys like, you know, Dutchman Geese Brewer. You know what I mean? Like this guy, mm-hmm. you, you start to see that serve and slice, but he's not a great returner. And you find these guys that you know are going to be able to hold their serves very consistently. You can really find some plus 300s in there that should be a lot lower than that. And you only need to hit one out of four to, to break even if, you know, those there's certain players where you can find you're going to hit 40% when you only need to hit 25%. There's massive profit margins. I'd say grass as short as the season is um, if you're attacking certain markets is, is definitely my favorite now. Yeah. I'm kind of a grass guy after this last, I mean, this grass season was uh, you love your, you love your dogs. I mean, this was uh, a very dog heavy season on grass as well with uh, Van Reithoven, the rise Mm -hmm. Of TVR, you had Garin even like going pretty far into the into Wimbledon out of nowhere. The guy's so was, random, so, so random. Two, two years in a row, he's made the second week of Wimbledon, and he can't do anything at the French Open. Like, what is going on with this dude? <laughs> I know he's he's a mystery, handsome man though. All right, uh, favorite. <laughs> do you have any uh, favorite players to bet? Is there a guy like uh, you know? I I hate to say this, but you know, and it's towards my own detriment. But for whatever reason, I see Hugo Gaston as a dog. I'm like, maybe this guy, this guy's got something for me. But that's kind of like <laughs> a, a guilty pleasure one. But as uh, an example, I'm, I'm teeing up for you. I will say I've seen those tweets, and I've seen, and in my head, if I haven't replied to them, in my head, I've been like, oh, he will learn. Because I have been there with Hugo freaking Gaston, man. Take the plus sets and you'll probably make some money with him. But the damn money lines, that guy loves to just look like an idiot in third sets sometimes. Um, but 
not this year. Like, I got to caveat this before I, you know, preface it, I should say, more so than caveat. But Gianluca Mager, the guy I, I checked on his matches. I lost a bit this year because he's been in the worst form of his life, carrying an injury. I think he's a new father. He doesn't look very energized on court. I love his game. I'm a fan of his game when it's on. And last year, I went back. Someone's like, you got to stop betting on this guy, man. You're getting killed after my, like, my second loss this year. So I went back last year. Searched his name in my spreadsheet was like, this guy made me like 15 to 20 units last year. Like when he's like a plus 200 dog on clay against a very 250 level guy, like a Facundo Bagnus or something. And you and you were getting him like plus 150. He's right there with these guys. And the serve is incredible. The attacking game on clay is odd and he's comfortable on it. He's fun to bet as an underdog, man. He's probably the one that stands out the most. Not this year, obviously. Yeah. I, I We're going to talk about uh, Laheshka coming up a little bit because uh, he's still alive. But uh, he's he's quickly becoming a, a guy for me as well. Derek, you got any faves you like to roll? <laughs> I mean, you guys are picking these names that are typically on, aren't on the board. And then I would just feel like a total asshole being like, dude, I basically only bet like top 20 guys. <laughs> well, I like to bet Fritz, too. I'm a big Fritz guy. So Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go with that too. I love to, especially when he's a dog against like another top fifteen or something. Uh-huh. Too well rounded. Yeah, I do like betting Americans, not just because I'm from America. That really has nothing to do with it. It's just because odds makers don't know how to freaking price these guys, and like for some reason, Tiafo just gets good odds all the time. Uh, Fritz, grass, like yeah. we said, I, it's crazy. And I'm like, dude, I have confidence that those guys will win, and you consistently just get the same odds all the time. It's great. Well, America has quietly turned the page and is actually pretty good at tennis now. No one really talks about that, and that's a conversation I really don't want to get too deep into. But, I mean, if you really take a step back and look, America doesn't suck like about two or three Corda. years ago. <laughs> Except for Corda. But, I mean, we there's it's a pretty deep roster of dudes. Get rid of the Brits. Like, the slam countries are supposed to like have a dozen players in the top 100. I mean, yeah. the Brits just, they can't spend their money. The LTA is terrible. I mean, they just spelt Casper Rude, Casper Rudd today. I mean, it tells you everything <laughs> you need to know about the LTA. But let's, I won't get into that rant because I feel bad for British tennis fans. Um, but like, yeah, the USTA, the FFT and the Aussies, like you're supposed to be good. Like That's okay. true. But I feel like they're finally being what they're supposed to be a little bit. I mean, I do feel like Fritz is a slam contender. Shelton. We're going to talk about Benny. We got Benny boy talk coming up. Um, okay. Well, let's keep, keep it moving. Um, what we like to do, John, uh, we'll, we'll pivot from that segment and, and keep it moving. Uh, we've been off the mics for about a month. So uh, there's a lot that's happened, uh, a lot to digest from a betting perspective, uh, especially with a lot of the calendar left. Tennis never stops. So we're, we're only about halfway through this year somehow. So let's, let's talk about some of the big headlines since we've been away. Uh, Dominic team is back winning matches seven and three over his last 10, including wins over RBA, my boy Gaston and a, a, a red hot JP. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, he had that one tournament and he was pretty good and a solid win for team. Anyway, he's trending up. I think he looks pretty great. I have to be honest. The thing with me is not only is he winning, he's doing it in like three hour spans. Um, so the fitness is, is rounding into form. John, uh, where are you at with team uh, from a betting perspective knowing uh, I think he probably is going to stay around. I, this might be his last week on the clay. I know he uh, took a, a wild card into Winston Salem. So I assume he'll be at the thousands too coming up. So he's going to obviously he won the U S open. So we know he can play on hard. Where are you at with him, John? Obviously it's good to see him. And like you said, it's not just winning matches, but for him to do it in three setters, um, means the fitness is there. You, you were seeing early on his first sets, like, okay, that tradition, that the traditional one-handed backhand, the big forehand, both pace and spin wise were there. And then you could just watch that kind of, you know, pace just drop from his ground strokes. And when he was first returning, now it's like, it's consistently there throughout still, I think building up that consistency, right. You need reps in anything you do in life. So I think he's still building that up, but uh, he got me last week. I was on Varias and he smoked him. I mean, it was, it wasn't as close to the scoreline looked right. Um, and then I was like, okay, fine. I'll take the over and back him against Berrettini. Like on clay, this is a close matchup and it wasn't. So, I mean, there's still work to be done for him and I'm probably going to back Hampton at least on the over tomorrow because it's going to be relatively low. He loves altitude. He's got a huge serve and team is, you know, three or four weeks now into playing multiple matches a week. I think he's going to need this break coming up. Yeah. Hoffman, I uh, think was a finalist in 2020 at this tournament as well. So. I don't, and Gestad, he had success in previous years too. He won it, I think, in 2017 or something. Um, he does like his altitude clay. Derek, I know you watched a lot of team over the last couple of weeks. Uh, what are you thinking? I, I'm actually finally confident to actually take the guy. I mean, he was 
just somebody you would just bet against. And then even like a month ago, if you look at it now, you'd probably be like, what the hell? He's actually getting through rounds and now he's just making runs. So I'm pretty confident taking him. I don't know about taking him against like obviously Berrettini or something again. And let's see when hardcore comes around. Like if uh, that's going to make any difference. Whatsoever. What do you, what do you guys think about this uh, range of outcome for team on hardcore? So he's going to, the books will price him based off his success on clay. He'll probably be a little bit overpriced. Maybe you chase the dog against him in the first couple while he's like figuring out the surface, unless it's like someone that he's obviously going to beat, or maybe he gets a little bit further down the line. And then like, once he loses that match, finally we get another better price on team and we can start hitting him hard again. I don't know. That's just a range of outcome I could see, but it would be nice to see him just like come out and do well, but you never know. I'll be passing for a couple matches, I would think, and uh, just see how he looks on it. For sure. But definitely, I feel like a little team US Open, uh, at least a quarterfinal future, not terrible of a bet because you probably have pretty long odds. And we know he has had success there. Lorenzo Musetti, this guy's all over the place. He's good. He stinks. He's good. He stinks. He wins Hamburg, beating Carlitos Alcaraz. I mean, everyone buried him after he choked away the serve. Uh, he didn't serve it out in set two. Every, the, the timeline was like, Hammer Alcaraz live. Got to go max <laughs> 10 unit bomb on Alcaraz. Uh, but you know what? He wins in the end. Alcaraz, I mean, he needs to clean up the, the unforced errors. He, he loses on back-to-back ones uh, out of nowhere. Kind of like this was like an intense, awesome match. And then a dud ending where he just like, boop, boop. <laughs> like, it was kind of like, wait, is it over? That was yeah. it? But uh, are we buying into Musetti? Where, where are we at with Musetti? Because, I, you know, we're, we are in a bit of a weird... It's kind of a weird space on the calendar. Fluky title. Musetti's good. His bet. I mean, his his one-handed backhand is looking pretty good all week, and uh, definitely has like nerve issues. Uh, Derek, I'll start with you the first this time. What, what's your Musetti thoughts? I thought he played pretty damn well. I mean, people are throwing around the word fluky, but I mean, he still did beat Alcaraz, and it, it wasn't just a straight path to get there. He took a bit of a detour in the second said after he was serving that one out but like you still have to like have chops to beat Alcaraz I I don't really care like that's not a fluke if you beat Alcaraz like you have to put in a good effort so I'm not with him I'm not really backing him this tournament to win this is still going to be a tough one for him like he could still play Alcaraz again in the final but I mean I mean like we're probably going to talk about him playing Baez later but I'd probably honestly take Musetti that's just me. Yeah, it's uh I'm interested to see how he backs up last week. Um, I'm you know, first title. Alcaraz had a wasn't very good last week for long stretches. Like outside of the Hachanov match, he really needed to work into second sets. His first sets were disappointed. That Krajinovich first set was an absolute mess. Um, he ends up coming out of it and then teases the minus four and a half after being down a break and then winning it in the tie break. It's like, okay, we need like, you know, six, two. And then he gets up four, one serving. I'm like, all right, we got a shot. And then he blows it. Frankly, Phil Krajinovich is not someone he he should be struggling with that much. Uh, Like he matches up super well. Krajinovich is not the fittest player, not a great mover. And that's where Alcaraz is. He's more of like a hitter server dictate the play. And, you know, Alcaraz is a great defender. He should really be able to neutralize Krajinovich's strengths and then, the way he can move the ball around the court with pace should really be able to create openings. And it, it took him way too long to figure it out. In his second match, I think he did a tie-break against Alex Molchan, another guy he really should dominate. Uh, one of my favorite players out there. I love Alex Molchan's game and his progression, adding pace to his game, but he doesn't have nearly enough to hit through Alcaraz, and he doesn't do anything else better than him either. Needed a tie-break, I think, in that first set again. Then he dominates Hachanov and obviously loses to Muzetti. Like, it was a messy week, so I'll be watching... Uh, this week, both Alcaraz and Muzetti. Can Muzetti back up a long week where he played some long matches and won his first title? And can Alcaraz, like, you know, get his stuff together in uh, in Umag and, and dominate like we'd expect on clay courts? This is where he got his first ever title last year, by the way. Blame the blame Umag for unleashing the beast on the tour. <laughs> he is backing uh, up his title run, and we'll, we'll we'll dig into that here in a bit. Let's do a combo here. Francisco Sarundolo won a title in Bastad, and Maxime Cressy won Newport. Uh, Cressy, I think, a name will want a pocket uh, for this USO series coming up. Uh, Sarundalo, though, I want to touch on him for a sec because uh, one of our first podcasts uh, back this year, 
was after Miami and we, we highlighted him and, and we're like, keep, you know, keep an eye on this guy for the qualifying of, of clay tournaments. And he stunk during, <laughs> it was like one of our worst predictions, but then I, all of a sudden he like catches some heat during grass and he gets his title. So yeah, obviously the forehand is in fuego. So I'm not sure where you're at with, with him, John, and uh, maybe touch on uh, Cressy a little bit as well. I can't stand Maxime Cressy. I hate his game. <laughs> I hate the double faults. I hate serve volley in general. Uh, he seems like a nice guy and a fun guy and he's like outgoing and good with the media and nice to like, so it's not personal. I just hate his game style and I'll be rooting against him. And I think the courts are slow enough that, uh, he won't like the medium. So maybe Cincinnati will be decent for him. I'm not sure he'd be great in like Winston-Salem or Flushing or even Montreal where I, but Montreal's quicker than Toronto, believe it or not. Uh, so he'll, he'll like it if he can get in there, but, um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Max Cressy. Newport is like kind of an outlier on the schedule anyway. So go ahead, win it, whatever. Uh, as for Sarundal, it's like live and die by the forehand, man. Like he he's developed a better backhand and rally, and better rally tolerance now. But he when he's off, like he's just going to lose five matches in a row forever. I mean, these guys need to watch the top players and see like you need to have a weapon, but you also need to teach yourself to be patient, point construction, that kind of thing. And he's, and he's definitely better than he was when he was on the Challenger Tour last year or two years ago. But there's still, as you mentioned, there's still long stretches where Sarundolo just looks like, man, like, dude, come on, think through the point a little bit. Like, you got a brain and a forehead. Use both, not just one. <laughs> yeah, it's just Sarundolo. I, I think he's a good player. I think he just lacks some sort of brain confidence sometimes, and that's usually what makes him lose the matches in the end. Like, he's got a lot of talent, but he just doesn't put it together. It's as simple as that. Well, speaking of players, I think that uh, other players should watch, and uh, that's Casper Rude because he's a pretty clean player. He doesn't like give away points too much. I feel uh, he beats uh, Matteo Berrettini and Gustad. Uh, we also found out he's friends with country legend Shania Twain, which I think is uh, pretty amazing. Um, Canadian, a famous <laughs> Canadian theme on this podcast. You know, Rude is a guy. I think this. Is, I wrote on here semi big deal question mark. I I. I I think it kind of, this was a, a match I think Rude loses last year, maybe the year before. Uh, he, he, you know, he beats Zverev, he beats Berrettini. He's starting to pile up wins against guys that I think he, he would have lost to before. And, and I think he is someone, as we return to hard court, they're going to throw the hard court narrative on him. They won't, because the, of the speed of Miami, they'll they'll toss that out a little bit. But I, I do think he has a name to, to kind of watch here in, in this USO series coming up especially uh, you know if you get a, a, a decent dog price on him i i mean there's only like a few players i think he'll lose to i think you know the backhand is only a liability against the top top players who know how to pick on it and have the weapons to pick on it uh outside of that like the forehand that talk about like good segue you talk about the the being able to think through points construct points and then he gets on clay with that top spin on his forehand which is like you know gasquet and raffle levels of, of top spin plus he has pace on it and it's just such a monster weapon right you you combine that having that weapon with you know having uh, that tennis iq to build the point open the space up and hit through the space i mean i don't want to oversimplify a tough sport but you know that's the name of the game for all these top guys, like you have a weapon, you're able to dominate points if you need to, but it's also like create space, use angles, be rather consistent from the baseline and patient, and then hit through the space you create, rinse and repeat. And then of course, return serves coming at you 140 miles an hour. We'll leave that part out. Uh, but uh, you know, the the rest is like, it's it's a script that that's the, that if I was ever like, you know, my future children, if they're playing tennis, that's the foundation I want to build. Like build the tennis IQ, the point construction, the patience first. And then as they grow up and get stronger, you can add pace to their game, right? I don't want to have, you know, a, a Denis Shapovalov. I'd rather have someone like Pedro Kachin, if you know what I mean. Now, that's a terrible example, because it's like, I'm kind of saying I'd rather have Pedro Kachin than a guy that's already in the top 20 or has made the top 20, but you get what I mean. I'd rather create a top top player with a good foundation than uh, just have all the talent in the world and get fall back and be complacent on that. Kachin went further at the French than Shapovalov, I believe. <laughs> there you go. But I mean, that, I should also say Casper Root is kind of that build as well, right? Like he's like a clay quarter and he's got that clay mentality of building points. And then as his forehand and serve have gotten better year after year, now he's top five clay in the world. He's, went deep in Miami. Like we're starting to see that progression. And like in the next, who's going to have a better 10 years if you're looking at them right now, Rude or Shapovalov. I'll take Rude every time in that scenario. Absolutely. Uh, Derek, any lingering Rude thoughts or have we said it all? We usually typically say that Rude beats everyone that he should beat and then loses everyone that he should lose to. Um, if you 
asking me if he should beat top tier players at this point. If, assuming top tier players is like what uh, Novak, Rafa is that including like Zverev and Medvedev. Um, I'd say that maybe he has a shot against them on clay. Probably not a shot against Rafa uh, and Novak on any surface. But everybody else, yeah, has a shot against them on clay. But I wouldn't take him on a hard court though against like Zverev or Sitsipas or Med. Would you? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, like Sitsipas versus Rude in Cincinnati. Sitsipas maybe like minus one fifty. Am I being too generous there? Rude maybe plus one twenty. I mean, you got to think the value might be on Rude there. Yeah. And I mean, like, look, you get onto a quicker hard court, and it's just you can rush Sitsipas's backhand. Right. He looked a lot better on grass this season. My narrative finally, like he's finally putting that to rest and he can't return, but I'm still not huge on him on quick courts. And I think Rube would be able to stick with him. I don't think he beats him on a quick hard court, uh, but I don't think like Sitsipas dominates him. Um, so we'll see, but we don't have many really quick hard courts anymore outside of Australia, Cincinnati, Shanghai, but Shanghai has been non-existent for what, three years now on tour. Yeah. Uh, this year they've canceled it. So we'll see. All right, guys. Well, we've said it all about uh, the month that has already happened. Let's look ahead to the end of this week. Uh, that was the tennis that was. Let's look at the tennis that will be ATP Umog in Croatia. We have Carlito Salcaraz uh, leading the field here. He's the returning champion. It's one of those uh, tournaments where the top seeds don't play until Thursday. So uh, if you follow tennis, uh, it's one of those. Uh, he has only he only has to win four matches to win the title. I have the assumption he'll cruise through. Uh, Lucky loser combos. He will take on the winner of uh, Mutet and Bagnus. Uh, let's start there. Mutet was a hot pick earlier this week as a short favorite against Altmaier, which I was kind of surprised about. I-, I mean, people were all over Mutet in that match. I mean, are we, I didn't know there were that many Mutet heads out there. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I guess I'm moving on Mutet to people seem to think, uh, you know, that they like this week for whatever reason over the 32 year old Magnus. I don't have a, a a big dog in this fight. Who do you guys think will end up playing Alcaraz? I think it's a close match. Um, I, I'm also hoping like peak Gombos emerges in that match because that could be a lot of fun, like with his hitting and serving. It, it could be, but you know, with Carlos's ability to kind of neutralize that, I'm, I'm not like holding my breath and I'm certainly not betting on Gombos to keep things close. <laughs> I'm just hoping for it, like as a you know, tennis fan, like remove your handicapper hat and hope for a decent match. Uh, as for the Mute versus uh, Bagnus match, I think it's a really close match. Like, what are there any weapons on court? I did, I actually wrote this one up for the Action Network and I was like, is there like it's hard to call the biggest weapon on the court here? Neither has a potent serve. Neither has a huge forehand. Like, it's just two rock-solid baseliners. And then I look at the odds, and I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me one of these guys is plus, at my, at my book anyway, plus 150? Like, these guys are just going to play, like, a three-hour, three-set match, and you're not you're going to give one guy, a, you know, a price tag of plus 150. So I took Bagnus. Again, I'm not saying, like, hammer Bagnus, guaranteed winner, you know, like all that stuff. <laughs> Lock of the century. I'm, I'm saying this is, like, for me, this is a super close match, and the prices are not super close. So that leads me to taking the dog. Who do I think will come through? Honestly, I, I think Bagnus has the experience edge. I think he's a little bit more comfortable. And Mute has a lot of his wins have come against challenge level guys. I think Bagnus is no, you know, masters or 500 level guy on clay, but he certainly proved himself over the years to be like a solid 250 kind of guy. Yeah, I think Bagnus has a bit of an edge here. So I bet, I definitely bet him um, just based on the odds, not so much being like, oh, he's guaranteed to come through. Putting the bags on Bagnus. I like it. Uh, Derek, uh, <laughs> you have any thoughts on this little uh, part of the bracket? Yeah, just now that I know the odds, I would stick with Bagnus as well. It seems like every time I bet Mute, it's like if I win, I feel good about it. If I lose, I'm like, just really pissed off that I just even took a shot on Mute, you know, like that guy just loses his shit sometimes. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's not really, it's your fault. You even took a chance on that. So I, yeah, can yeah, we get, can we get the umpire to miss a call tomorrow or like the chair to miss please. a call, help us out a little bit on that Bagnus side, like just have a really bad line judge, make a bad call. And then the ump come down and like miss the spot and pick a different spot and call it out when it was in <laughs> that should lock up Bagnus money line. Right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like if we just traveled to Umog tomorrow and then we just screamed at Mute just one time, we can completely <laughs> control the entire match. That would be that's real match fixing. Like, screw what uh Karatsev's up to. Like, we can do match fixing ourselves. 
and it would be worth it if we found the right book. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I, I feel like Alcaraz will likely dust everyone in that. I mean, like this is a lot, this is kind of like the appetizer. I mean, you, this tournament, it, it gets pretty interesting as you it, it, potentially as you barring an upset, as we get deeper here, Alcaraz will then have to take on uh, the winner of uh, either 20 year old Italian Zeppieri, who is on a nice dog run. This guy, I, you know, I wanted to play him uh, a couple days ago and I chickened out and then uh, he had beat Galan earlier this summer too. And he was like, Plus one, I think he opened plus 160, closed around plus 140. So that movement scared me a little bit. Like, why are we chasing the dog here? Galan, I think, has been playing relatively well for him as well, minus losing to this player. Um, but it is an interesting exercise. I mean, when you already know a guy beat a guy not that long ago in the past, and then they make that guy the dog, like, I feel like if you just blind bet that, <laughs> you would probably end up profitable i don't know john if you've experienced that before but uh, i feel like i've seen this a lot where they'll undervalue the guy who just beat the other guy yeah i just i i'm not a head-to-head guy i didn't even know they played earlier this season so um that is like my least favorite metric to look at personally it's just you know i've i've had rants on this in the past too um you know it's all surface dependent and i guess this year that would be applicable if it was on clay but uh, a lot of the times people are using like, oh, 12-3 head-to-head. It's like, yeah, most of those matches were four or five years ago and off-surf. So, um, but in this spot, again, like Galen is one of the, I bet against, I bet Zapieri today because it just seemed like another one of those Bagnus Mute matches. Very close matchup. Galan's got a forehand, but he's so freaking erratic. Like I had him against Karatsev and I'm watching him play. I'm like, this guy has like no clue how to construct a point. And that's why he languishes at challenger level. But Zapieri was the same thing for a couple of years. Like I was a big fan of his when he was like 17, 18 and all those Italian challengers that have produced all these young players. Uh, he was getting wild cards into those. And his game is like, he's, backhand holds up well he's got the lefty game he's got a nice forehand he's got decent when he's on he's got rally tolerance but also can finish points it's just he's not on nearly enough and we've seen it this week i think he's won all four of his matches through qualifiers in the main draw in three sets right like he just can't put it together and that's going to haunt him. And I think Carlos crushes either one, to be honest. Oh, yeah. It's either yeah him or uh, Zapata, who just beat Holger Rune, who made a, a splash at the French O and his belly flop ever since. I don't know what's going on with that guy. Uh, he stinks now. Um, good <laughs> luck with that number one in the world goal, bud. Um, I don't know what's going on with him. He was he's looking so good and now he's he's not. But I have to say I I used to think Zapata was like the most interesting man in tennis because sometimes he's really good and other times he's really bad, but he's been holding it together. I, I feel like he's had uh, a solid form uh this summer. I'm not someone that I typically like to bet because I have no idea, but like I'll see like a Zapata minus like five or something in qualifying and then he'll fucking crush. Like I'm like I didn't know he was like covering game lines like that. Um and then I'll like look to back him and then he'll like as a favorite and then he'll like lo- randomly lose to someone. So um I don't really get got a good read on 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 Zapata. Um but he is a a, a clay grinder, I know. John even he's Zapata thoughts better better year this year i think again adding more to his serve a lot of these clay court challenger grinders like that the reason they can't really go anywhere is because of the serve and it's also why like when you get these guys playing each other you just want to hit that underdog because so often it's just return fests and long rallies and if you're gonna have long rallies it means that they're fairly even matched when evenly matched you want to be on the dock but uh he's added to his game and, and it's and it's shown and his results. All right. Well, I think we probably all have Akraz probably reaching the final uh, over this field. Um, so let's look at this bottom half here. Yannick Center leads the bottom half. Uh, he won today uh, just in time for us to record. John was sweating it, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> running up to, to us recording. And he, co- and he covered, I believe. He, he covered, I think it was three and a half. He wins six four six four against Munar. Munar's a guy I don't I don't mind. Uh, it just has like I feel like a zero weapons guy. He he just basically waits it out until someone fucks up, and that's how he makes his makes his bread. Center takes on uh, RCB, a guy I hate and I think stinks. So I'm not as stoked to talk about as if Malchan won. Obviously, I think Center probably easily moves on to the semis here. Any uh, thoughts on that? Are we just let's just keep him moving? I think we all probably have Center over. RCB. Well, um, yeah, RCB is just what's it called? He's just a an even less weapon oriented player than Munar. Like every time someone asks me about Munar's game, I'm like, he's just RCB with a bit more pace on his ground stroke, which isn't saying much. It's not a high bar to clear, but like that's what RCB is. Like he's just a worse Munar. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
but this bottom half does get interesting because uh, if center makes the semis, he'll play Musetti or Cecinato. I think we all probably think Musetti there. And then Baez or Agamenioni. I don't know. Some guy I've never really heard of before that John might know about. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't know much about the, 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 This week uh, has a lot of randos because a lot of guys bailed. I don't know. What do you think? We can move Baez on here. I think we get a. You think we get a Baez Musetti matchup uh, down the line, or or one of these underdogs against Musetti and Baez have a shot. I hope so, man. Like I hope we get that because for me, I like. There's always criteria I like to look at for fading guys off of long weeks. One is their opponent talented on the surface. Two, am I getting like good plus odds? And we're going to get plus odds on bias here after Musetti, you know, wins Hamburg and looking pretty good. And if he wins two matches here, like I'm really hoping he crushes Checanato because he has the ability to do it. Checanato is a madman. And he could, if he crushes a guy like Checanato, like the books are going to be like even more respect for him. Good. Because Baez is not Marco Checanato in any way. And I think we get some decent, uh, we get added value should he cruise through a second round match. Seven matches in two weeks, coming off a title, playing a competent player on surface. Baez has a good forehand, matches up well. Give me plus money there. I'll be all over uh, Seba. Yeah, Baez is a podcast favorite for one one half of this podcast. Uh, Derek's a bit of a hater. Um, <laughs> Just a bit. I've become less of a hater every single week. Oh my, he's added to his game. The forehand is used. To, he's a pure pusher. Now he's got a, a forehand. So like, you know, I'm with you yeah. on that. I would love to get center versus Baez. That would be just fun from a, a tennis fan perspective. And I, I think that you could, man, I mean, that that would be a hard test for, for center. I think a, a guy who's as relentless as Baez, um, just giving him nothing uh, easy. Um, but I do, I do have center. I do have a rematch of uh, Wimbledon uh, this time on clay uh, of center and Alcaraz. You guys think anyone uh, upsets the apple cart here uh, to ruin that final? I would stick with center. I mean, that's just my gut feeling. But, um, I mean, I don't feel good about it. Like, there's no confident feeling that I think that center could just take over Baez. There's no way. But, yeah, I don't know. If I had to bet on it, I would take center. What do you think center will be against uh, against Baez? I think it'll be, like, minus 180 more. You think it'll tip into the minus 200? I hope so. Yeah. No, I don't hope so, because then I'll be tempted to bet Baez, and I don't know if he actually wins it. Yeah. I mean... Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I would, I would think like, oh God, I don't know what minus past minus 150. I don't know what that is in decimal off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm going to go ahead here and be the decimal guy, but I would say like a dollar 57, 1.57. I think that equates to minus 170, minus 180, yeah. minus 185, somewhere in that range. Once you get past 1.68, which is minus 150, I know all the f- like minus 145. I know the instant conversion up until minus 150 after that i'm like i hate american odds i'm not learning anymore you know so uh but i think yeah probably in that minus 180 minus 175 range yeah you think it, like the spread would be probably one and a half i no, would, would be bigger than that yeah three, like three, and a half. three and a half i think three three and a half Ooh, three and a half will be pretty tense especially like an outline of four of like at like minus 150 yeah you'd have to start looking at bias if it's at three and a half yeah I, I would I would set it at three or three and a half. I have no idea where like the traders at these books will do it. Um, generally, they all follow Pinnacle anyway. Cool bet sometimes gets a little hasty and, and decides they want to open the market. I love them for that. Uh, that's a really small book, though. It's only available in like six countries. So, but yeah, I would say three to three and a half, maybe a juice three and a half. I think if it's minus 180 or under against Bias for center, I think that's a, a steal of value. I think he should be over minus 200 plus against Baez. I, I don't think there's any way that Baez comes out from that match. I, I just think it's just how much, how much respect are they going to give Baez is the question. We like sinners, the known commodity and Baez is the guy. Like I, I have a tough time. Like my origin, my, the lines I originate are very different from the books. A lot of the time on Baez because they're just the respect they've given him since that Estoril tournament is like through the roof. So I think, I think they're going to afford him some respect here and keep that under 200. I could make, I could make a case. I, agree with you that center should be in that minus 200 i know is a dollar 50 and i think that's probably more fair i wouldn't be surprised to see him at like you know the minus 180 though i wouldn't be surprised if they gave center uh Baez, pardon me a little more respect for sure i just feel like center's ability to hit winners from like nowhere is going to be tough for for buy especially after i watched him get beat up by sarandolo <laughs> with the forehand a potential blockbuster final here um in a, in a, a relatively random <laughs> kind of uh place in the schedule but alcaraz versus center final i assume alcaraz will be a relatively heavy favorite 
this time. I mean, does he's I, I feel like Alcaraz is gonna win exact his revenge. Although I don't I mean, I'm not a big Alcaraz is a clay guy guy. I actually think that clay exacerbates his like worst qualities, which is like keeping the ball in play. <laughs> um so I, I think that there could be some openings, but I, I do feel like center on clay is, is, is just not as, as good as he is uh, other places. I don't know. What are, what are you guys thoughts? I, I have Alcaraz taking this thing again. Yeah. I got Alcaraz winning this thing, but I don't, I don't really need to pound this one into the dirt. Uh, yeah. Carlos is Carlos. So that's all I got to say about that. John, yeah, Carly does, say? Yeah. I would think that this matchup would be because the clay does help center with his, with his like masking his movement or lack thereof. Um, that's why I think we've seen him succeed most so far on slow, hard and clay in his career. Like the quick courts, you can really take time away from him and hit through open space and he can't get there. Yeah. Um, so I would think it's actually a slightly better matchup here than it was on grass, but mm. I don't think he beats Alcaraz. Like, it's funny. I would think like, if you give me Alcaraz center on grass, I'd be like, okay. Uh, well, I mean, Alcaraz isn't that great on grass either. And we saw that um, in that matchup. But on clay, I'd be like, Sinner has a better chance. And ironically, he's going to end up beating Alcaraz on clay and then losing to him, or sorry, on grass. And then I think he'll end up losing to him on on clay. Like, Yeah, for sure. And I also feel like anytime I have a general rule, uh, and this is American odds now, but Alcaraz minus 180 is just an automatic play. <laughs> 180 and under. Oh, I don't uh, think you're getting 180. I think it'll be a lot more expensive than that. Oh, I know, but even live, yeah. even live, even like yeah. I was like so stoked to have plus 250 uh, in that Musetti match. Like even though it lost, like I was like, fuck yeah, this is. I'm like sitting there with like even down a break. I was like, let's go. Even, even I was like a, a great ticket, even if it lost. Uh, which you you know that happens. All right, guys. Well, we and he, he does give you. He does give you. Uh, decent live spots right because his serve isn't like that huge he's breakable and then he gets down a break you get those algorithms adjusting the odds and you're like this guy's one of the best returners in the game now so you do like Alcaraz gives you more live opportunities than like the big three would right mm-hmm. oh yeah for sure i'm with that yeah absolutely let's move on to hp kids fuel sandwiching maybe the least exciting of the three sites here a slumping roberto batista agut is the top seed in the top half picking up a nice win today Versus Rodionov, who famously killed a bunch of parlays for gambling Twitter in the second round of Wimbledon qualifying against Olivo. Uh, that was a rough one. Th- those who know, know. <laughs> uh, RBA takes on my guy, G. Leheshka, next. Uh, cashed him as a plus 130 dog against Montero. Thank you. Um, I love my guy, Leheshka. This is a total gut feeling a fade the trendy dog in this one uh might get a solid this might be a, a solid get i just think overall this is a solid get right spot for RB, rba this week he's been slumping he's not been looking good very beatable but uh you know this isn't exactly a, a stout field and uh maybe he uses it to uh get himself back and uh to some playing shape john what do you think uh first i'm with you on the thank you yuri for uh for uh the montero match i didn't have him but i had the over 22 and a half and after a first set tie break i thought i was gonna get gut punched when he was up a double break the underdog up you know a double break uh, in the second set was a really annoying. And then he had that sloppy game and Montero cruises to the break and then hold and it gets over by the, I believe the hook. Uh, so that was nice. Um, I think I like Lahechka here, man. I just don't think RBA has enough from the baseline to hit through Yuri and Lahechka can be error prone, but he's also a good, like he's athletic and a good shot maker. And you need that. The uh, kind of rally tolerance with our. I don't mind the over here, honestly. I do think he keeps us a lot closer than I think. What is he now? Plus two thirty out there in the markets. Um, that is tempting. I have to book, say. Obviously. So I mean, I don't mind the over. This probably looks like a spot where I, I don't hate the over dog combo. Uh, if RBA comes through and, and wipes him off here, like good. I'll, I'll take my lumps. I'll take the losses and move on. But tomorrow, like I said off the top like tomorrow looks like a very dog heavy day and this is one of them i'm I'm enticed by for sure derek what do you think about uh rba um his road ahead here you think he's gonna bow out or you, you like him to make a little bit of a run okay so first off i just want to just put out there that i don't know much about ledge guess so it's like i was scoping uh john's twitter just a little bit like yesterday and then I was just want to point out that there was just a bunch of names that like of tennis players that I'm like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is great. I was like, these are the exact like types of people that I do not bet on. So I don't want to like just start 
jumping in this lane that I just don't want to fit in when I got two people that actually know who Lehechka is. Um, I mean, I, I can lay down some stuff about RBA, but yeah, yeah, everyone knows about RBA, but who knows much about Lechka? You two guys. <laughs> well, I mean, Lehechka, he burst onto the challenger scene last year and, and won a couple titles on different services. Then he um, had a bit of a Rotterdam run earlier this year. Um, so he's kind of done it all on multiple surfaces uh, for a young player that I'm sure uh, doesn't have uh, everything handed to him uh, and has been grinding his way to get to this point. I don't know much about his backstory personally. This is me just, you know, <laughs> guessing, but I, I I would say it's a fair guess. Um, yeah, player you love to see, kind of like a Baez, uh, a, a grinder type. Yeah, so let's uh, keep it moving here. Winner of that match would take on the winner of Ramos versus Pedro Martinez. You know, this is like, <laughs> I sigh because like the idea of watching Ramos and Pedro Martinez play on clay sounds about as unenticing as it gets for me. <laughs> I got not... good news for you though. <laughs> I got good news for you. It's the five, sorry, for you guys, 2 a.m. match. Oh, which yes. Is like, I look up the schedule because I want to bet on the other three matches because they're doing their quarterfinals tomorrow, right? Uh, yeah. I think they end on Saturday in Kitzbühel. And I was like, oh my God. Please, please let Ramos and Martinez, the one match I don't want to bet on of the four, be first up. Check flash score. First on court, I get to sleep a little Heck bit yeah. longer. <laughs> uh, so, like, I'm like, yes, I want nothing to do with that. And, of course, Umag is like a late afternoon and night tennis tournament in Europe. And then, like, Atlanta. So, no need to get up too early for the tennis tomorrow. I'm excited. I Well, let's just get to the, the end here. I, I have RBA making the final. Uh, sounds like, John, you you, you like Laheshka to, 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 to win. Who do you, who do you have as uh, your pick to, to get to the final from that top half? I, I would I would agree with you that the winner of Laheshka and RBA would be my favorite. I'm just not sold on RBA getting through Lahechka. Like, to- like I'm not totally sold on that. So, but I, I would say the winner of that match, I like to get to the final. Yeah. I got RBA in the final again. All right. Well, we'll probably, somebody. this is going to come out in the morning and we'll probably look like assholes. Uh, kind of <laughs> look like a genius. Um, so at least one, we got one for three here. Um, uh, all right. Well, the bottom half, I don't want to spend too much time on either because it's a who's who of guys that I don't love and they love to kill the bankroll. Team is the headliner still alive. Uh, I kind of don't see a reason for him not to make the final. Although you uh, uh, you did mention Hoffman being a tough, uh, tricky match for him. And I, I wrote down tricky here as well. If he gets through that, I feel like he, he should be okay because uh, it's the winner of uh, Leovich versus uh, Misolich which is an amazing combo of names uh, to be playing each other in tennis. Um, people <laughs> are turning off the pod right now hearing these names. <laughs> I got team in the finals in a rematch uh, versus RBA. Uh, I, I have RBA winning this thing just because I, I just feel like maybe – I feel like conventional wisdom is he's trending down, and I feel like this is a, a really crappy tournament that he could just kind of like play his way into form again. But that's also driving down Narrative Street. <laughs> So uh, who, who really knows? I mean, team could walk away with this very easily as well. Yeah, I'm going to go down the uh, comeback street and I'm just going to take team on this one. I, You know, the way you said it uh, was perfect. Like if team's back, this is his half. Like he should roll. I'm multiple weeks where he's played multiple matches now. I'm not sold on it. And I, I would love to see how and really push him. Uh, especially with his serve playing up on clay. I would love to see him take some energy out of team, like in team's return games, help and service games. Um, and like, I'm a challenger watcher. Get like, I am rooting for Philip Masolich, man. This kid is so much fun to watch on clay. We saw him make a run earlier in the year that like, you want to talk about like, tennis hipster kind of stuff. I believe he played Millie Polyacek, who was the junior boys uh, Wimbledon winner. And, and, you know, I think they played in, the the challenger Masolich won, I think, as a qualifier. Like, guy was challenger qualifier uh, a couple months ago. But he's got such a fun serve forehand combo, plays with good top spin. The altitude should help him both with the top spin. Like, it, when it kicks off the court, it gets more air under it. Like, you should have seen some of the shots against Daniel Dutra da Silva, man. Like, that guy was at the back against the wall and still reaching up at his shoulder trying to get some of those balls back. And he's got pace on that forehand, too, which, again, mm. in that thinner air should help. So, 
big fan of Philip Masolich. Watch that name. And uh, yeah, give John a follow too. I mean, you do tweet about the Challenger Tour, so uh, which I really appreciate. I, I I like those tweets. I like to see what's going on. Uh, and uh, you know, for ga- gambling wise, it's good to get on the on the ground floor of some of these guys. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we got let's use that as our pivot point to Atlanta because uh, we got a guy who's been grinding the Challenger the last couple of weeks to gambler's success. His name is Ben Shelton. And uh, arguably the big headline so far is him in ATP Atlanta. The USO series has returned. We are playing hardcore in America. We finally have some tennis at reasonable hours for the American tennis watching public. Thank you. I say Ben Shelton is a big headline because Opelka just withdrew. Kyrgios withdrew. Those were some of the top guys for this thing. And so an illustrious start to this tournament. But hey, we have a good story with Ben. Ben has been, uh, you know, the young Florida Gator, NCAA national champion. He picked up his first HP win, which is qualifier. Ramonthanen, who beats young Brit Jack Draper, who I bet live and uh, lost on him. That was awesome. Thanks, Jack. Anyway, um, Downey survives Isner, who he plays next. Uh, but he's at a big server. Uh, he's, you know, he's he looks so young that, like, he looks, like, below Gen Z. He's restarted the alphabet, Gen A. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, he's a, a, a young talent. John, I'm sure you have a lot of Ben Shelton thoughts. Yeah, I did a, a scouting report on Ben Shelton. That was like a 20 minute. I was going to do, I usually do two players that are up and coming. Combos, like get it to like half an hour. And I got to like 25 minutes on just Ben Shelton. And I was like, <laughs> okay, it looks like this is a standalone. This kid is like super, super good, man. Uh, he's he's He moves well. He's super athletic. He's tall enough. Yeah, you know, not too tall that he can't move though. Huge serve. And he's the, when you have a lefty serve, if you can put it out wide to righty backhands, um, especially I believe on the ad side, it's almost like a, a combo slider with pace. They're like cheat codes for lefties. And like, as a lefty, I, I'm like, I, I was the only lefty I know of my age at 30 that didn't like Rafa growing up. Like I'm a Rafa hater. <laughs> I was a Fed fan growing up and I love Nola now, right? So uh, I'm the only lefty out there who does not like um, Rafael Nadal, but this is the kid that I'm like, all right, I got a lefty to cheer for. Like if you're, if we got to go with Southpaw sticking together, I'm all in on Ben Shelton. Love the potential. Seems like a good kid. Hopefully not quite. He tweeted earlier. Like, can someone take over the lease? I'm not trying to have two places come the fall. So it looks like he's hinting. He's going to skip next year at Florida, which, you know, you have to do, um, at this point he's made what the, the quarters or semis of three of the four challengers he's entered. I think the semis of three challengers, um, out of four that he's entered this summer, which is pretty damn impressive. Uh, you know, the forehand is huge. The backhand is surprisingly consistent. Like he can generate with that backhand. He can flatten it out. He can hit it, but he also like, it's not as error prone as you would expect a 19 year old's backhand to be right. Like that's usually the weak wing that takes a while to gain consistency. Not with him. Like it's, it looks good. It's, I think, look, he plays the nine time finalist, six time champion Isner, right? six titles and a, and a run and three runner up uh, appearances. But I don't know if John Isner is what he used to be. I'm all over Ben Shelton in that match. Um, just because he's the more athletic of the two, he can serve not as big as Isner, but he'll hold, he'll keep pace with him holding serve. Right. And he's just, again, he's got the, the more con- like a good backhand and he's athletic enough to return. Like if, he, if you're going to pick a guy who's going to break in this more likely to break serve in this matchup, I'm taking Shelton. And so, you know, he's younger, He's more well-rounded. He's still got the huge serve forehand to keep up with Isner if Isner's serving his face off. And then he's probably the more likely to break. And I mean, he's over plus 200. I'm all, I'm, I'm nice, all for that. It's a nice price. Uh, spoiler alert, I have Isner not going far as well, although I don't have him losing to Shelton. But uh, I agree with you. Isner is not the player he was. I mean, this is a good spot for him to like kind of do his Isner thing that still, you know, he, he can kind of like call uh randomly um like in houston i think that uh he made the final against um opelka although opelka won but he was still like able to stand tall all week and make the final similar probably story here obviously he um has won this a bunch and but yeah i just isner you know he lost to my guy gaston in miami uh (laughs) in straights so i don't think that we should be thinking this is like Isner's like just gonna walk away with this, although he very well could. But I, I, I do think that the, there's more of a crack. Uh, the doors cracked a little bit more for him to to walk out than years previous. Um, all right, well, I'll just go with my hot take, and I, I got put last year's Ben Shelton 
Jensen Brooksby, although I have to say the Shelton hype, I think, is like a mushroom cloud size more than the Brooksby hype uh, this time of year. Brooksby was like the hot take last year this time. Now it's Ben Shelton. But uh, let's not forget about Brooksby. Uh, I, I think he... um you know, McDonald will be a guy that uh, will be a tough out on hard. McDonald obviously made his best result last year in Washington, but Brooksby is the only thing that that will stop it is is the heat, and he doesn't really seem like the fittest dude uh, in the heat. But I do think his game is weird enough to just confuse the fuck out of McDonald and um, and get some points. And then I also think the same with Isner. I think he can do some weird shit to break Isner. Um, so I kind of like Brooksby here. But if we got a Brooksby Shelton match, that'd be that would be sick. Even a McDonald Shelton match would be more interesting than Isner fucking walking through this thing, <laughs> just surfboarding it. Derek, uh, what do you, what, what, what's your um, bracket looking like here for for Atlanta? I got M- Mackie McDonald beating Brooksby here. I think Brooksby he <laughs> surprising to most. I got Mackie McDonald moving on here. Uh, I think Brooksby actually has a pretty predictable game. I think he's got a good pace to the ball. He knows when to use it, but. He does have a predictable serve. Also, Mackey is kind of like just one of a, like one of the more smarter players. He doesn't have many tools. His best tool, I think, is his, his head. Um, I don't know. I think he can just put it together and beat Brooksby. He seems like the kind of guy that can fashion a game to outlast Brooksby and just eventually beat him. Um, on the bottom, I do have Isner beating Shelton. I mean, after we just kind of got an overview of Shelton from John over here, uh, I don't know. I'd rather just put money on Shelton, to be honest, because ride the lightning, baby. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you got to cheer for him. You got to cheer for the younger player who's more well-rounded. So you may as well have a few bucks behind him, right? Exactly. And it's (laughs) it's the night match too, so it's going to be the last one of the day when we're all just waiting for another bet, and we just feel like we need to bet something because we're (laughs) because we just need to do something. So. and you trying to root for Isner. It's not the funnest thing ever. No, not at all. So, yeah, might as well just root for Shelton there. But, um, yeah, let's take Mackie and Shelton. We got a uh, Tiafo Nakashima rematch. And uh, for whatever reason, they uh, they don't price. I think Tiafo will end up being the favorite. But, like, and I know it was his first match back um, after injury. But Tiafo was the dog against Nakashima at Indian Wells which made no sense. That was like the easiest cash all season for me. I kind of like Tiafo over Nakashima. Have you seen Brandon's like respect on quick courts though? Like this is, I actually talked about this in like the previews yesterday. Like I had Jordan Thompson on the over there. Cause I was like, man, Jordan Thompson likes quick courts. And he was over plus 300. And then Millman was plus 285, who also doesn't mind quicker courts. Cause his game plays up on it. And he's rock solid from the baseline. They both end up covering uh, and the overs both end up cashing. I believe for uh, the over 22 and a half for both or over 22 pushes, I think on uh, Millman Nakashima, but Brandon Nakashima, like he's got the wins going on quick hard courts, but if you look or quick or quick courts in general, but if you look at like players, like I'm never going to take plus games with Stefan Kozlov, who he covered against or Sam Query in the year 2022, he covered once against him. He doesn't cover these like three and a half, four game spreads. He's consistently given on quick courts. So I'm with you. I think, Tiafo should be like it could be a pick'em or Tiafo should be. I don't, but I, I disagree that he will be the favorite because Nakashima is getting crazy respect in the markets uh, on quick courts for whatever. I mean, I know he likes quick courts, he's good, but his return game isn't, you know, like Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal level on these courts yet. No. He's still figuring it out, but he's being priced in the dollar. 20 which is like minus 500 it's crazy to me yeah, yeah. the only yeah, thing is like tiafa will probably lose about six pounds in the match uh from sweating <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean i also just think that tiafo has like a, i think that he's like i'm just get this fucking kid's not gonna beat me like i feel like there's like a little like i play i know this kid i know there's like something going on with a little american american uh rivalry you guys are guaranteed a bunch of quarter finalists right like well us in australia two, yeah Isner yeah. Shelton, um, Bro- uh, Brooksby and uh, and Paul's through, and then you got Brooksby versus McDonald. Like you're gonna have a bunch of quarterfinalists, and the Aussies love their quick courts, right? It's no surprise to see them all loading up into Atlanta uh, as well. Yeah, I think I'll also be looking at like first set overs or just kind of overs in general. I I I've been catching a couple first set overs because um, they're leaving them at nine and a half and like at minus one twenty. It's like I mean that's I just got to get to six four. Like that seems like. <laughs> Seems like it'll get there. <laughs> um, 
So um, take a look at that um, all week. Top half here, Opelka's gone. So now we have Stevie Johnson playing Ivashka. I just, I bet uh, Ivashka minus three. I know that Stevie's kind of a tough out here on American soil, but uh, I, I like Ivashka. A player I like to bet. I like to bet Ivashka. They don't, they tend to not make him too heavy of a favorite or too, <laughs> or a big dog. Um, and you cashed him in the first round, right? He did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I bet that. Uh, so we'll see. Stevie could beat him. I, I mean, like, I, I respect Stevie uh, in, a, in a setup like this, even though he lost to, what's his name, the Gojo uh, in the qualifying. Not born a Gojo who actually played in the qualifying as well. The other Gojo with the longer name. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tommy Paul has been kind of crushing this week. And then uh, we have ADM who hasn't played yet. Uh, Demon Ore is lurking. Uh, and I, I got to be honest, I think Demon Ore is pretty well set up to make the, <laughs> the final. He's got, he's going to play his countryman Duckworth. And then, um, which I think will be Duckworth. And then, um, and this, you know, not that I am like the biggest Demon Ore like fan or believer, but he has been playing better uh, than he was. And uh, these, he is better than Duckworth. <laughs> So unless he like, you know, brain parts that one away, he should outlast him. And then he's got to beat Manorino, I think, the, or, or the Georgia Tech kid. And then probably going to be Tommy Paul or Ivashka. So, I mean, I think the ADM is a pretty solid bet all week, depending on the price. He'll probably be a pretty decent favorite, but maybe not. You never know. You know what? I don't hate like a roll a rollover money line kind of thing with him. What I don't know what a dollar thirty is in American odds. Um, like I think it's minus three something. But no. I mean, I wouldn't hate going like roller. Like when you lay it out like that, his path. Yeah, he likes quicker courts. Uh, he's been like you said, he's been playing much better in twenty twenty two. The game is a little bit bigger than I think I remembered it from you know a few years back. Anyway, he's added a bit to it. He's still got that crazy ability to hit shots on the run. And I mean that w- w- was it the Fritz match that uh, I had Fritz outright in Indian Wells. So like that match was the one I was really worried about watching. Like Demon Hour was everywhere and making everything. Um, it's, it, he's, a, he's a lot of fun to watch. And when you've got that defensive skill set and ability to extend points and make shots and then have your game play up on quick courts and that's your preference, you're really tough to beat. Yeah, so I, um, I'm i just going to go hot take uh, and shoot my shot. Uh, I have Brooksby winning this thing, which is like the hottest take probably <laughs> that we've had on this podcast, but uh, I, I, I'm doing it. I'm shooting my shot. Uh, I feel like I picked Alcaraz and Team or RBA the last two. I'm going with, uh, with the long shot here. It's uh, uh, more of a surprise. Uh, it's kind of, this tournament is definitely wide open though. So by no means am I saying lock of the century, but uh, I do feel like uh, a range of outcome I, I, I kind of like is uh, is that one. I definitely like an American on the bottom side because that's all that exists really. So then it'll be an American versus <laughs> uh, ADM. Uh, anyone with their finalist, uh, their winner, their tournament winner here in Atlanta, I want to put themselves out there. Uh, yeah, I'm going to throw Tommy Paul in the mix here. I just feel like he's just getting better every single week. And Demon has been getting better. I mean, he, I think he peaked a couple of years ago, but and then he fell off a little bit, and he is getting better since then. But I don't know. There's just an improvement with Tommy Paul week after week, and I think this is his chance to kind of get a title under his belt. Yeah, he had that solid grass win against Center earlier this time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with – I think I, – I'm going to go with the Brooksby as well. I hope you're right about – uh, him making a deep run this week. He has done well on American courts this year. Like all of his best runs. I mean, round of 16 in Rome was random. Wimbledon finally slumped, you know, or busted the slump a little bit. He got to the third round, but you know, his Columbus challenger semifinal run Dallas. I think he went to the final. What else? Indian Wells and Miami. He, I think made third or fourth round of both of those. Mm-hmm. He likes being on, you know, hard courts, but specifically in America for whatever reason. He's a real good America guy. Um, <laughs> so I'm hoping you're right. I, he's my biggest play for tomorrow against McDonald. Uh, I don't think McDonald has the weapons to get through him. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, McDonald does prefer quicker courts and he's going to get those here. So we'll see if if Jensen Brooksby ever learns and realizes that he's six foot four, uh, <laughs> watch out because he could have, if he develops a serve, like he's going to be a beast. Yeah, like why doesn't he have a good serve? It blows my mind. I, I just don't get no that. clue. It yeah, I don't know. I was watching this match the other day. I was like, he could serve like one twenty five if he wants, but he, he just doesn't have the fundamentals. He needs to, do to work it, in the off season that four weeks. 
you know, it's it's so funny because people are like, oh man, you know, with tennis, when you're gonna you're doing tennis betting, you like handicapping. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I I would hate being like an NFL only fan or an NHL. Like I watch, I have a team in every damn sport. I watch them all. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I couldn't imagine being like, I just, I'm a huge MLB guy. And it's like, what do you do for months if you don't watch like other sports? Tennis doesn't have that problem. Like, okay, your off season is December. And by the way, that's time, you know, spend it with your family. It's the holidays. Like, enjoy it. You know, <laughs> like that's your time off, your handicapping and your, your, your tennis watching. And even now we don't even get four weeks. If you watch challenger tournaments, they went to like December 14th or something last year. Like <laughs> it's beautiful. Like you don't ever have to be like, I'm sitting on my hands. My favorite sport's not on. No, they even had the XO and, uh, where did, uh, Nadal get COVID. And, uh, that was like over the holidays. And then Davis cup was like the first week of December. <laughs> It's late. They go late. I love it. I'm like, yes, go right. Like the two weeks I, I don't want any tennis are the exactly that. Like Dude. Christmas, New Year's kind of bridge. Like that's a time to kick back. And I take I take it off work too. Uh, I don't take any clients during those two weeks. And it's basically a two weeks vacation and my favorite time of the year uh, around Christmas time. So it, tennis, it's perfectly with that. Well, gentlemen, I, I feel like we've said it all. This has been a, a, a fun show. Uh, John, thank you so much for, for joining us. I hope you will again in the future. This was uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, I want to give you uh, some space here to, to to plug. And John, where can people find all your stuff? Oh, right on the timeline at, uh, at Tidbits Tennis. I try and get all the articles to uh, the Betting Expert and Action Network content posted there. Um, so if you just head to that timeline, click the follow button. I usually pin anything with uh, an article link in it uh, up top. So you can always see my thoughts on it. Has Again, I'm... Haven't had the greatest year, year and a half now, I guess, but uh, in terms of results, but if you're curious in my opinion on a match, um, I'll often have a lot of stuff up there as well. And I do run a Patreon uh, where I'll go over like a di- the, the daily slate of matches that I even don't bet on the thoughts on that. If people want to, to check that out as well. And yeah, amazing. And yeah, sign up for his Patreon. This guy clearly knows his stuff. Uh, if you've made it here, you know that. Um, and I want to say for this podcast, uh, we've been off for about a month, uh, but uh, we're going to try to be back every week through the U S open. So, uh, you know, football is gearing up. Uh, you're going to be probably throwing in some football pods, but, uh, make some time, uh, for Thursdays and Fridays, uh, to have some tennis content in your life, a nice little window, I think going into the weekend to digest some stuff. So, um, Derek, uh, any final thoughts? Yeah. I just want to thank John for enlightening us about players that I find obscure that probably just everyday life to him. And, uh, <laughs> one last thing, uh, let's go Shelton. Let's go motherfucking show. All right. Until uh, next time, see you guys on the court.